0: Judge combined together or to discern. Maybe a phrase that would describe it is to see you in the light. John would put it like this in 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Again, there's never been a community like this. Conversely, in verse 8 of 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we act like we don't have sin, that we aren't in need of grace, if we have no time for accountability or community, the writer is saying this, that we deceive ourselves because fellowship requires authenticity. Of course, we could talk more about that, but for time, let's let's move on. The other requirement here is devotion. Real fellowship requires devotion. In verse 42, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to fellowship. The apostles' teaching was about the life and message of Jesus the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayer they took these what we see sometimes as individual spiritual disciplines and they did them together we're going to get on a we're going to read the bible together or you read and i read and we'll discuss and we're going to pray together and break bread together this is the fellowship these are the things that mark their lives listen no one i love this idea of devotion to fellowship no one drifts into koinonia. No one drifts into real biblical community. We drift into isolation. We drift into stinginess. We drift into uh, striving for comfort. We drift into gossip and slander and apathy, but we don't, we don't drift into following Jesus, and certainly not into koinonia. You think they ever felt like they didn't want to meet in the temple courts every day? They could have come up with some kind of reason not to meet. This wasn't even a Christian setting. They were meeting in the Jewish temple that didn't even believe in Christ. And yet there they were, devoted to showing up, to sit under the apostles' teaching, to praying with each other, to breaking bread and to fellowship. Well, what if it gets hard? It will just keep showing up they just leaned in <clears throat> we've been doing this for 9 years and we celebrated 9 year anniversary last week and it was a it was a big deal it was incredibly amazing to look back and see all that God had done in our little church over 9 years we began to put together the slideshow and Most everybody in every picture were people who used to go to our church at some point. There's a couple of those. And being in a military town, a lot of people have left. And I shared a couple of those examples with you. But you know what you find in church is a lot of people just don't want to lean in. And at some point, things get difficult and things get tough. And they don't want to share anymore. And they don't want accountability. And it's easier just to walk away. Listen, I'm not the guy who thinks a person is required to stay at the same church forever. I'm not that guy. I think the Holy Spirit leads and guides, and you should listen to his prompting, absolutely. But I'm also communicating from Scripture what Jesus said would be the greatest apologetic for the watching world, and that is that we would really love each other. So many people just get offended. I don't like being around that person. That person really irritates me. You know, we need to call Jason and get in a new community group because if I go to one community group and if I hear them talking about kale salad one more time, like I am like, I am am done with that, right? People mistake being uncomfortable with grieving the Holy Spirit. We sit down and lovingly Say, hey, man, it's not time to leave. It's time to lean in, to press in, to have a conversation, to bring restoration. And once that's restored, God might be leading you somewhere else. But don't, don't leave with the fractured relationship. I love this in Hebrews 13, verse 1. ESV says, let brotherly love continue. The NIV translation I like it. It kind of describes a little better. Better. It says, "Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving, as if as if it's as if if you're not going to want to." Here's the warning from the author of the Book of Hebrews. I want you to keep on loving. Listen, I'm not sure if you knew it or not. Some of you might be new to the faith, but Christians can be some of the neediest and suckiest people in the world. No kidding. When I first told my dad I was surrendering the ministry, he gave me a preaching tape by a guy named Ron Dunn, and the tape was called Sheep Bite. <laughs> I listened to it and disregarded most of it, and now I go back to it once a year just to remember that that is so true. Christians, <laughs> they're self-righteous, they're mean-spirited, they're proud, hard to love, and that's just me. Who knows what else is going on in your life, right? This is why we designed our missional communities or community groups to be geographical and not based on affinity because it's just something so powerful about getting people at different stages of life and different backgrounds together in a living room and being authentic and real with each other. Inviting us to be with people we wouldn't naturally choose. And that's what Jesus did he didn't just go pick, right, the A-team. No, he picked these people from all over the place. M- Matthew was a tax collector that people certainly despise, and Simon a zealot, and a guy from the city, and a guy from the country, completely different backgrounds, completely different political leanings. It'd be like trying to start a new church, and to build your launch team, you're going to get a couple Trump-loving Republicans, and some never-Trump Democrats, and s- some Green Party Save the Earth people, and... Then you're going to throw in a few communists. And then it's just going to almost describe, right, what Jesus did when he called his disciples together. No wonder they were fighting each other all the time, right? Isn't it amazing that those are the people. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to get this ragtag group together that all hate each other. And they're going to literally change the world because of their radical love for each other. You would have said, no way, man. There's no way those two people are ever going to love each other. Jesus says to them, after this incredible display of service and washing their feet, a new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another. Jesus knew something that we often forget It wasn't them digging deep to try harder to love. No, it was the supernatural love of God flowing through their hearts that was changing them from the inside out. Something you got to be devoted to, got to be intentional about, you got to lean in. Can I encourage you from my heart today? When things get tough, you lean in. When people offend you, you lean in. When you don't understand, you lean in. When you get the cold shoulder, you lean in. But not just those things, not just authenticity and sharing. Again, we could probably list a longer list here, but something else we see in the text is this idea of sharing. Real fellowship requires a posture of sharing. This culture knew extreme poverty, imprisonment, persecution, starvation, exposure... All issues that were really common in the day. and There arose a community in the midst of it that looked so different. We have letters written by some of the emperors questioning this group called the, the followers of the way. Wondering what on earth is going on with them that they would love people to such a degree. It was so compelling. These Christians would see a need, liquidate what they have and share with those who were lacking. Hebrews 13 and verse 2, right after it says, keep on loving, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. We're going to get back to this in a couple weeks when we talk about the outward direction, but I want to talk about hospitality just in the church. What does it mean to have hospitality in the church. The word hospitality, again, made up of two Greek words. It literally means the love of stranger. So when you see this in Acts 2 of these people liquidating all that they've got so that they can share with those in need, it's not like it was that they were selling their beach house so that they could, like, give to their cousin who needed a little bit. No, this person was a stranger from a different country just yesterday. And God had miraculously saved them, and now they're at the table, and they have legitimate needs. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So they shared. They shared their resources. It says in verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. I think we get that. Our most valuable commodity is not our resources, the things in our bank, the stuff in our garage. Our, our probably most valuable commodity is our time. They certainly shared that. They shared their lives. Look at the meeting daily devoted to breaking bread. And I understand this is a culture that was very communal and maybe they could accomplish that and that seems so foreign to us today. And it is foreign. And the rhythm of our life, there's no way that we could do that. But we could. We could have a regular rhythm every week of inviting a neighbor over. Or a friend or someone from the past who's offended us, then we could invite them to the table, our table, and we could love on them and care for them. The Apostle Paul says the, to the church at Thessalonica, First Thessalonians, that we shared our lives with you. This is just beautiful picture of Koinonia, sharing your lives with one another. <clears throat> Share the truth. Who speaks loving truth to people these days? No one. This is a call for us to speak the truth in love. Not with a big stick hammering people in the head with truth, but with real love from your heart. One more thing they shared in suffering. This might be be the most powerful picture of all. The fellowship of suffering is, is the real thing. We could have many things that we have in common in here. We have Saints fans and Cowboys fans and we like to kind of, you know, jeer at each other. And LSU fans and Tech fans. Some commonality there, but if I ask, hey, how many of you have survived cancer? It would be a real fellowship of suffering experienced a miscarriage. There's just real fellowship and suffering. Have had someone really close to you die. Have gotten the call from the doctor. There's a fellowship in suffering that can't be had any other way. Galatians 2, Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to bear one another's burdens. What does this look like in your life, koinonia, around your table? Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can teach. Not everybody has these gifts, maybe like Phil does, to sing. But everybody I know in this church has a table. And they can open their home and invite people in and open their lives to them to share Here's an action step that I would like to call everyone in in this room to. I want you, for the rest of this series, we've got four weeks left, I want you you to find a prayer partner. And maybe not today, but maybe today, I would encourage you to do it as quickly as you could. Find someone and ask them how you could pray for them and how they could pray for you. And it just take... Two minutes to share, hey, this is what's heavy on my heart. This is something going on. And, and then tell them that you would commit to pray for them every day for the rest of the series, for a month, for 30 days. You're going to pray for this person every day. and You can text them and get updates of how, how to pray specifically or just talk to them once a week when you all gather here. Hey, man, what can I pray for this week? There's something so powerful In that question, how can I pray for you? Now, this could be a family member or someone from your community group or missional community, someone from a discipleship huddle, a coworker, a friend, a spouse. It could be anybody. Just find someone, ask them how you can pray for them and then commit to praying for them every day for the next month. I think that's a really big step of faith when it comes to seeing koinonia developed in our lives. Now listen, this will be impossible for you to do, to live this kind of koinonia life, this Jesus way of life without Jesus working inside of you. I was talking to someone this week who had, been, had walked through some pretty difficult circumstances that got really mad at God and just kind of shut him out. That's something a lot of people are tempted to do. There's this picture in Revelation 3, I love it. says in revelation 3 and verse 30 jesus speaking behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with him and he with me isn't that a beautiful picture this is koinonia jesus saying you know knocking on the door of your heart and saying hey will you let me in i just I see somebody's home. You ever do that? Knock on someone's door and no one answers. You can see lights coming on and off. Hey, I think they're home. Jesus wants to come in and dine with you. I love this picture. Koinonia with you. Can I come in and fellowship, he would ask. Some of you this morning might feel like you're on the outside looking in of this thing, that you've never taken a step Cross this line of faith and trusted Christ with your life. Man, I would implore you to do that today. Others have been around this church thing for a long time. You know what I mean when I say church people are some of the neediest and suckiest people. You've been so hurt before. And it's so easier just to say, you know what, forget them. I'm going to keep showing up, but I'm not letting anyone know what's really going on in my heart again. You're withering away, and the invitation this morning from Jesus as he knocks on the door of your heart is, hey, can I come in? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion here in a minute, but as I pray aloud, I would encourage you to pray silently right where you're at. Would you ask the God of the Bible, the God of creation, Seen in the person of Jesus. Would you ask Jesus what step of faith that he's asking you to take today? Maybe it's a step of confession. Maybe you need to find someone and ask for forgiveness. Maybe someone's already asked you for forgiveness and you've been withholding it. You need to extend it freely. Maybe as I spoke before, it's this step into the family of God. This is a step that you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to take today. Something inside your heart, you know that this is the step for you. I encourage you to take that step today. Maybe it's a more logistical step that you just got to create margin in your life to know people and be known by others. Whatever it is, I implore you to take that step today. Find you a prayer partner today for the next 30 days, asking them, How can I pray for you? God, we love you and we thank you for your word and this invitation to this Jesus shaped life. One that loves you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but one that also loves others in this extravagant way. Lord, I pray in our little church at Covenant that we would have this real koinonia. You would protect us from the enemy as he comes in and tries to bring division, destruction as he does. We would see through that, that we would make a commitment that we're gonna walk in the light. We're gonna give people the benefit of the doubt. When conflict comes, we're gonna lean in and press in. We're gonna forgive freely just as you've forgiven us so that the watching world may know that Your great love for them is real. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our communion.